0: We'd like to, to continue with the Christmas story this morning and continue to sort of the forgotten part of the Christmas story. A, a story that I rarely hear as part of the Christmas story, but something that happened before the wise men, most likely. Something that happened just a little bit after the birth in, in Bethlehem. But it's as important of a part of the Christmas story and understanding what the king, the impact of the king was to the world. As any other part of the story. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2 with me. We're just going to continue in Luke. Earlier we read the first part of Luke. but We're going to start at verse 22 and we'll continue in Luke looking at how we deal with the arrival of the king. Last week was about the birth of the king and, and we talked about the implications of the king and we traced it all the way back to creation that we were built for a king, but yet at the fall we don't want a king because we want to be king. But then we see throughout the entirety of the Old Testament this battle of kingship as God promised that He would send His Son on a rescue mission as the king. And that's why Christmas is so incredible and such a thing to celebrate because it represents the moment in time where God intervenes in human history and says, my kingdom will be established and the gates of hell will not prevail against it through his church and so christmas is that time where we see god's direct hand in history it's always in history but we see god himself showing up and arriving on the scene we talked about some of the implications of that and this morning i'd like to continue and and say as we come to christmas this week and just a few days from now how do we glory in the king How do we bring Him praise? How do we echo what our our angel chorus over here said? Say, glory to God. Glory in the highest. See, to bring glory to the King, it's not that we can add to God's glory. He contains all glory. But in an earthly sense, it's about adding to His reputation. How people view Him. How the world views Him. So when we glorify the King, we are praising Him to a world that doesn't know Him. And we are adding to His reputation. And so picture with me, we had the manger scene and the shepherds came, and now we jump forward right around 40 days. So a little over a month, month and a week and a half, and the, the initial glow has worn off probably. Now you've had 40 days of, of this child that you're caring for and for Joseph and Mary trying to get settled here. And this story picks up sort of afterwards, after that 40 days. To see, okay, what is the continuing impact of the king? How do we glory in the king? We start at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And we know from Old Testament law that that after seven days, on the eighth day, your, your son had to be circumcised. And they had done that. We saw that in verse 21. And then after 33 more days, the time of purification, specifically for the mom who had just given birth, was complete, and she was to come up to the temple. And there were a couple things that needed to happen at the temple. One, the mom was to present a sacrifice as part of her purification and, and becoming clean again to be able to come to the temple, to become able to come to holy places. But the other thing that we know in the Old Testament is that God had said you need to consecrate to me your firstborn sons your firstborn sons you give to me you honor me with them and he did that right after the exodus the 10th plague of the exodus in exodus 13 when he said consecrate to Me all the firstborn whatever is the first open the womb among the people of Israel both of man of beast is mine And so they would bring their firstborns to the temple and there were a couple of things that they could do. They might present their firstborn for service of God and we know in Samuel that meant staying there. At this point, it probably meant that their life was dedicated to service. Or there was also a tradition where you could redeem the firstborn and you paid five shekels at the temple to redeem your firstborn. And it wasn't that they wouldn't serve God, but it was a symbol reminding them of God's redemption out of the land of Egypt and God's coming redemption from the bondage of sin. And so the the whole story of Egypt and the bondage to slavery there is a, a symbol that reminds us of the bondage of sin. And what's interesting to me is Joseph and Mary were following all these things. These were godly people. This was a godly mom and dad that said, we're going to follow what God has said in the Old Testament to do. And they bring Jesus to the temple verse twenty three as it is written in the in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy or set apart to the lord twenty four and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons It's interesting that the sacrifice that was a secondary sacrifice the the law said, if you can, you give a lamb, and if you don't have the means, then you can give two turtle doves and and, and so this was A way that that Luke here is saying, the king didn't come to a fancy palace. The king didn't come to a rich, well-to-do family. The king came to a humble family and humbled himself. But he's still the king. And so now that's the setup for the story. We get to verse 25, where Luke gets into the, the main part of the story As they come into the temple, and and I can just picture them, they've made their way five, six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and they're coming up into the temple and they come into the steps to the portico and they enter the court and you have the temple in front of them and they're there to worship God and to offer their son to God and to be clean before God. And a couple people approach them. Simeon being first, a man. And I can just picture Joseph and Mary walking along with their new baby. And this elderly man coming to them with this huge smile on his face and saying, Can can I hold your baby? And and holding out his shaking hands. And I don't know what Mary was thinking. We don't know that from, from Scripture. I know if it's my child, what I'd be thinking. I don't know you. Don't drop him. But Mary let Simeon hold the Christ child. And Simeon, through the Spirit, prophesied about this child, about this king, and what he would be doing. And so we pick it up in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And we see this man, when, he, when we think of waiting for the consolation of Israel, that was an understanding, that terminology was he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for a Redeemer. Consolation means to bring comfort or to bring peace. And Israel was desperately seeking and waiting for their Messiah. Who would bring peace? Now they thought their Messiah would relieve them from the Roman rule. But the Messiah came to relieve them of so much more. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Simeon will talk about that in a moment. So this is a man, though, that was anxiously expecting the arrival of the Messiah. He was looking for the the arrival of the Messiah. Probably a, a man that had been in the temple for many, many years looking for the Christ. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And at this moment, Simeon is holding what he's been waiting for his entire life. Have you ever thought of a phrase, okay, I just want to do this before I die? Bucket list. Anyone have a bucket list? Okay, a few of you. There's things you want to do before you die, right? Okay, maybe it's it's skydiving. I've heard people say that. Jumping out of a perfectly good airplane for no good reason. (laughs) That might be part of your bucket list. Something you want to do when you... No, before you die. (laughs) It might be travel. It, It could be anything. Simeon's bucket list, the one thing he wanted to do before he died was to see Christ. Was to see the Messiah. That's a godly man. That's a man that had his priorities straight. Nothing else mattered. Nothing on this earth mattered but for Christ. But for Christ. And so the first point in your notes there is we need to look expectantly and excitedly for Jesus. Look expectantly and excitedly for Jesus. Simeon was there looking. He was praying. He He was led by the Spirit that day at that time in that crowded court in front of the temple to this couple and the king. The baby king. As I think about that and as I think about Simeon's example right from the start here, I'm challenged. Do I make looking for the king a central part of Christmas? Is that what Christmas is about? Is that my greatest joy? Like I said, one of my kids this morning came and said, there's gifts under the tree. And we're working on what we're joyful about. And it's great to be happy about gifts. It's great to be excited about gifts. That should point us to the gift. The gift of the King. And so if we're to glory in the King, if we're to glory in the newborn King, we start by being excited about the King. Marveling and being amazed that He is born and looking for Him. How do we look expectantly and excitedly for Jesus? We make the arrival of Jesus joyously central to Christmas. We, we, we In our families, we teach that the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, is the most amazing thing that has ever happened on the face of this planet. And we get excited about it because our kids will see whether or not this is just a story or whether or not this is life and something we're excited about. it. I can remember many times, and even this week, when I get home from from work and, and there's faces in the window. Dads, you ever have that? faces in the window waiting for dad to get home and excited for dad to get home. Now this time they knew I was shopping and so there was a little extra (laughs) excitement. And they're like, daddy's home, daddy's home and running through the house and mauling you when you get in and it's just this incredible moment. That should be nothing compared to us looking at the window for the birth of the king. Now we know that he has already been born, but he is still here. He is in our hearts. He still wants to have an impact of our lives. But we want to take that kind of excitement and build it into Christmas. That we are excited about the birth of the King. This is something we have to be intentional about. We have to purposely make sure that His birth is the central point of our celebration. One of the questions I ask myself is, do I even need Jesus to celebrate Christmas? As I look at all my traditions, as I look at my schedule, do I even need Jesus, or would it even change my schedule? Or have I intentionally put the the idea of His birth, the truth of His birth, into my celebration? Christ is central. We have a nativity set up that my kids love to build and set up every year, and I have a little manger in Jesus here. I know some families don't put Jesus into the, the nativity until Christmas morning. And it's their way of celebrating the coming king. And, and all season, their kids can come or their family can come and say, okay, there, there's no, no king there yet. There's no birth there. And then on Christmas morning, what has been expected becomes a reality. You know, Maybe you each day take... The manger and take Jesus and move it through the house a little closer to the stable. But somehow visually illustrating that the king has arrived and he is joyously central to Christmas. You know, but looking expectantly and excitedly for Jesus isn't just about the story, it's about that he still wants to show up in our lives today. He still wants us to be like Simeon, looking for how he will work, looking for how he will be king in our lives. And so what part of life in the next four days will you see Jesus as part of? How will you see his blessings? How will you see his work? Will you see opportunities to bring him glory with people around you? He will show up. The question is, will we see it? Will we see it? Make Christ's presence what you hope for most this Christmas. I'm convicted by Simeon's dedication, his waiting, his anticipation of the king. And we should be that excited and looking for him today. We go on and we see what Simeon said to Joseph and Mary as he held baby Jesus. And he blessed God and said in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What an amazing prayer. Some have called it a song. But he's blessing God in saying these incredible words of truth about the King. And the second point, if we're going to glory in the King, is we need to marvel in the King's orchestrated rescue mission. We need to marvel in it, to bask in it, to be amazed at it. Be amazed at salvation. Don't get tired of it. Don't say, okay, I'm saved. Oh great, the King came. Jesus came to die on the cross. No, we don't deserve salvation. We would be endless in eternity away from God in torment without salvation. That's what we deserved. And because the King came on a rescue mission, because He orchestrated all of the events, we have salvation. And if that doesn't get us celebrating at Christmas time, nothing will. Because there is nothing more important. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of that. I love some of the things we see about Simeon's statements here. One of the things we see woven through is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. His orchestration of all of history to come to this point. In verse 29, the word Lord right from the start is a word that's not used very often, but it means one who has control over everything. One who is sovereign over everything. In fact, some of your translations translate that sovereign Lord, don't they? In some of your Bibles... Sovereign Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And Simeon is proclaiming that God's been orchestrating this whole thing. If you have ever watched an orchestra and the conductor conducting an orchestra, when do they make beautiful music? When they're all together, right? When they're all following the conductor. Well, God is the sovereign conductor, He controls the plans people will follow Him and marvel in that. Marvel in how He has brought everything together. We see that again in verse 31 when Simeon says that you have prepared in the presence of all people. Not that accidentally happened, but that you prepared. God intended this moment in history so that His Son, the King, could bring salvation to you and to me. All the pieces, all the people, all the timing, all the fulfilled prophecy. God orchestrated and planned it all. Wow, what a great God. Don't lose sight of his greatness and his sovereignty at Christmas. It was no accident that Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem. It was no accident that they ended up on the temple, in the temple court this day. The beautiful painting that the master painter has brought everything together and just now we're seeing the whole picture what if the angel didn't come to mary what if he didn't warn her what if he didn't talk to her and give her instruction what if she didn't say may it be to be to me according to your word what if the angel didn't come to joseph And instead of carrying out God's plan, he divorced her and had her publicly humiliated and punished. What if there was no decree from Caesar Augustus over here on the chair? What if the Magi went back to Herod and told Herod where the king was? We could play what if all day, but the thing is, God wasn't playing what if. God was saying, this is how it will be. Because I love you, and I choose to save you. What an amazing truth. Marvel in the king's orchestrated rescue mission. Verse 30 says, For my eyes, and Simeon is saying this, For my eyes have seen your salvation. And I picture him looking into the eyes of Jesus. And he didn't say, My eyes have seen part of your salvation. He said, My eyes have seen your salvation. Because Jesus is our salvation. Completely. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to salvation except through trusting in Jesus Christ. My eyes have seen your salvation. So to marvel at the king's plan, marvel at his sovereignty, at his orchestration. Marvel at his faithfulness. You see at the end of verse 29, Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. He's acknowledging that God has kept His word. that He is a faithful God. We see that again in, uh, throughout this whole passage that this was His promised salvation to Israel and we'll see to all the world. God keeps His promises. He always has been faithful. He always will be faithful. And as we come to Christmas, sometimes we're in situations that we just don't know that God is faithful anymore or we're questioning it because things are tough. God is faithful. He kept every promise and He sent His Son for your salvation. He orchestrated this rescue mission. He hasn't lost touch with your life and what He wants to do with your life. And He is still working His plan. Marvel in the king's plan. And we get to verses 31 and 32 and this would have been revolutionary for them. For us, it's something we should praise God for and and maybe we take for granted. But at that point, the Messiah they thought was just going to be for Israel. And in verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And we should marvel and praise God that his target of salvation is everyone, not just the Jews. And he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, it's prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's a reminder that God came to save all. I love illustrations and you guys tolerate them, which is great. But they help me remember. And I I, I like Christmas lights. And I I think of Christmas lights when it comes to salvation. I hear the the laughter. And, And I think of Christmas lights as part of this story because over and over, including this passage, what is Christ described as? A light. We sing light of the world. In this case, He's a light to Gentiles. He is the light. And so this helps me remember every light that I see, every Christmas light, that the story of the baby king is not just an ooh and ah story, but it's the story of salvation, of light for all people. So every time you see Christmas lights this season, remember to marvel at the king's orchestrated rescue mission. We go on with the story. And the next few verses are probably the toughest part of the story. There's good news. But there's there's difficult news. And in verse 33, "...and his father and mother Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about him." So they still marveled at the king and what was going to happen. And in verse 34, "...and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And at first glance, it's like, wow, that, that's, that's bad news. At Christmas time, man, that's hard news to, to receive. But understand what he's saying here. Simeon is, is helping Joseph and Mary and helping us know that this king was about truly dealing with the issue of the day. The issue wasn't Herod. The issue wasn't Caesar. The issue wasn't the Romans. The issue was, where is your heart? Where is your heart? And we go back to creation. Remember last week when we talked about the very beginning of the the battle for kingship? What was the issue? The issue was rebellion in the heart. And so the Romans, they're just a symptom of the real problem. A, A king, if Jesus came and just took care of the Romans and didn't take care of the heart, he'd be a lousy king. Because he's dealing with a symptom and not the solution. And, and we, we see this in culture all around us. Government is, is typically dealing with symptoms and not the, the problem. I remember hearing, hearing some news reports of, of high crime rates, especially in inner city. And a lot of times the, the discussion of high crime in inner city goes to the issue of poverty. Well, if we just alleviate their poverty, if we just give them more money, then crime will go away. No, 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 that's dealing with a symptom. And the problem is dads have not fathered their children. That they haven't stepped in and taught their children about God and Jesus. And the deeper root is they don't know Christ. And the report I was listening to actually did a study and they, they finally said, you know, it's, it's not about the money. It's about fathers being part of their family's lives and training their kids But sin has taken a variety of parts of our culture and taken dads away into sin. And the root problem is sin in the heart. And I say that to illustrate why Jesus came and He established His kingdom in our hearts and His forgiveness for sins rather than dealing with the circumstances of the day. And and point number three there, if we're to glory in the King, we need to let the Christmas story still pierce our hearts and convict us. See, Simeon here is saying when he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in, in, in Israel. That's a clear statement that it's not about saving Israel from the Romans. His message is a message of the heart. And some will accept it and some will reject it. For some, he will be a stumbling block. And, and he's, he's referencing probably two stones here. A stumbling block that they fall over. For others, he will be a cornerstone that their lives can be established on. It's sort of like stairs. You can either fall down the stairs and completely just, just fall apart at the bottom, or those stairs can take you and those stairs can raise you up. And so my illustration for this point is a stone. A stone. Because that's how they would have understood His statement. As either a stumbling block or a cornerstone. A sign that is opposed. And we know that Jesus, when He addressed the heart, when He addressed sin, was deeply opposed. And Simeon lets Mary know, and and this is a, a statement referring to His crucifixion, "...and a sword will pierce through your own soul also." So that your thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And part of glorying in the King is letting Christmas still affect our hearts. Is coming on Christmas morning to the Christmas story and using it as a type of yearly checkup? Is my heart in tune with the King? Am I right with God? Am I honoring the king with my life? See, so many times I think we're like the Jews and we want God to come as king and and fix our circumstances. Kick the Romans out. Deal with the things in our life that that are just giving us so much trouble. Jesus said, those are just circumstances. Those are nothing to me. I'm here to fix your heart. To draw you to the King." See, the true king addresses the true problem and gives true life. One of the great ways to do that at Christmas is to remember your salvation. Remember your testimony. What if on Christmas morning, someone in the family before gifts, you not only read the Christmas story, but what if someone shared their testimony? This is how I accepted Christ. This is how God rescued me This is how the king touched my heart. And now we're intentionally as a family focusing back on what's important. He didn't just show up to earth because he really liked mangers. He showed up to rescue us and to be part of our life. Simeon got that. And he shares that this is a different kind of king, a king that will convict hearts Reveal hearts, enforce a decision. See, with the true King, as He comes, as that as He came, two thousand years ago, as He still seeks us today, He requires a decision. There is no middle ground with the King. You either serve the King, or you don't serve the King. You either glory in the King, or you despise the King. There is no middle ground. And Jesus came to, do, to discern hearts, to convict hearts, to divide hearts, to force a decision. This morning, if you've never made a decision to follow the king, the one who gave his life on the cross for our sins, this morning's the morning to make that decision. Because as long as you delay, you've decided to abandon the king and to rebel against the king. Christmas is about God's plan of salvation. I want to end with verses 36-38. through The scene shifts from Simeon to another elderly lady there, Anna, who had been waiting for the king. Verse 36, "...and there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84." Lots of talk about does that mean she's 84 years or the wording there might be that she was a widow for 84 years. Either way, she has waited faithfully for God for a long time. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And I can just picture the scene. She comes on and probably comes up while Simeon has, has the baby king. And Simeon gives him back to Mary. And Anna's just proclaiming, thank you, God. God has redeemed us. The consolation of Israel has come. A- and she didn't do it quietly. It was like everybody needs to know this. And this is in the courtyard where everybody is coming to worship. She's like, he's here. He's here. What an example of someone whose heart was sold out for the king, of someone who brought glory to the king by making sure people knew about the king. And the fourth point in your notes, make Thanksgiving for Jesus be an observable part of Christmas. Make Thanksgiving for Jesus be an observable part of Christmas. This is the one time when I don't mind us mixing holidays. And this represents Thanksgiving to me. And yes, we we get upset about stores that bring in Christmas stuff too soon. But in our lives, Christmas and Thanksgiving go together. But the key here is, she didn't keep it to herself. Who did she tell? Everyone that would listen. Probably people that wouldn't listen too. Because she was so amazed and was marveling so much at God's work that she couldn't keep it silent. That's challenging for me again. Is my thanksgiving for the king an observable part of Christmas? Does everyone I come in contact with know that I am praising God for the light that he has given? For the the, the that he is the cornerstone of my life, that he is here. See, when a king came into a town, what would happen? The whole town would line the streets and you'd have trumpets and you'd have banners and there was proclamation that the king is here. And I would challenge us that it shouldn't be that silent of a night. It should be one that people know that the king is here and we are worshiping the king. How do we do that? There's all kinds of ways we do it. I think one of the the ways that is so effective in our culture right now, is to have a joyful spirit at Christmas and to maintain a joyful spirit at Christmas. To not get into all of the complaining about this or shopping or this or that, but to genuinely, when people see us, that they see God and they see joy and that we're willing to say, because I've had people ask, why are you still happy? Man, this is is the worst. Tell them. I'm happy because this is the greatest news ever. The King has come. Joyful spirit might annoy some people, especially as they're frazzled, but it'll point them to Christ. I love decorations at Christmas because I think decorations show the world that we have something to celebrate. And so decorating your house inside and out can be a very spiritual activity because you are communicating something to the world around you. Maybe Some people, I know some of you here have Christmas parties and you invite non-believers and believers. It's a great way to make Thanksgiving to God an observable part of Christmas. Some of you have been tweeting and posting different things about Christmas. Again, what can we do to be intentional about Christmas? It may mean choosing your Christmas cards intentionally. Reading them before you buy them and seeing what message they give. We're entrusted with the gospel. We're entrusted with the news of the birth of the king. And like Simeon and like Anna, we, we, we long for it, we yearn for it, we expect it, and it's here. And so now we do everything we can to tell a lost and dying world that the king is here. The king is born. And like we've been talking about in First and 2 Timothy That means being intentional with every part of our lives. How does this support the mission of the gospel? How does this bring glory to God? Life's too short to live it by accident. How will you glory in the king? How will you bring him glory? And that's the message to me of Simeon and Anna is they glorified the King for His true work, for who He is, and they made sure everybody knew about it. In three days, we'll celebrate Christmas. The beginning of God's rescue mission for every one of us. The incarnation of God Himself in the flesh. What a thing to celebrate. Lord God, our Father, Oh, we glory in your plan. In how you have orchestrated, how you have chosen us, how have you, have, you have made it possible for us to come to you. And so, Lord, help us to not be silent about your birth, to make you central to everything we do. Lord, that a dark world can see the light of your coming. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for coming when you didn't need to, when we didn't deserve it, but your grace and mercy captures us. Lord, we give you our Christmas. We glory in you this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.